It's the internet, you're busy, let's do this. Welcome to the GameSpeed Decides podcast. It's our year-end spectacular. We are looking back on 2018, that was. And this time we're going to be talking about our bad awards. These are the bad awards, where we are going to be picking some, um, or creating awards, is, is probably the better, better way to put it. And we are going to be handing them out to different video games, and different moments, and different people in video games. Um, I am Jeff Grubb, your host, and with me is Jason. Go ahead and say hi to everybody, Jason. Howdy! And Dean Takahashi, say hi, Dean. Hello. And we're going to get right into things. We are, Mike's not here. He could show up. We don't know. He could be dead. This could be a really somber podcast or like a really weird thing to go back to if we, when we find out what really happened to him. So my, one of the secrets of running game speed every day is when I talk to folks and say Mike or Jeff or Dean doesn't answer me after a while, my first thought is that they're dead in a ditch somewhere. <laughs> well, every time. Game, That's where my mind goes. Bomb, yeah. Yeah, well, so far, so good. We've So far, we've... we've I'm not, not dead yet. You were not dead yet, exactly. Um, okay, we can get right into things. So, like I said, today's our bad awards. That means we're going to be uh, it, not necessarily negative, but critical is how I would put it. Um, no real arguing, though, so that gives you the heaps. Don't worry about it. We're just going to be kind of going over stuff a little bit uh, and mostly talking about why Red Dead Redemption 2 is bad. Um, waiting for Dean to get mad there. We'll see. Um, okay, hey, yeah, I, you I know didn't what? Just hear that. <laughs> just to kind of give you guys an idea of what to expect I'll, I'll get started here i'll pick my first one um and and since i did mention it let's just get it out of the way um i had a couple different names for this award uh, i started with the award for loving your own farts and i, w- I was thinking about oh uh, you know how did you get so high up your own butt award and this one does go to red dead redemption 2 now i know that sounds really bad um but, but let me explain what i mean by that um, I created this award because when I, when I was playing Red Dead Redemption 2, the, the sensation I got most often from it is that this is a game that doesn't really care about being fun. It's, it's not a game that cares about your time. It's not a game that really cares about the player. It cares about what it thinks a video game should be and what it, what it wants to be. And it has no regard for anything else. And... That struck me as just kind of being up its own butt quite a ways. Now, a lot of times in that game it works, uh, but when it doesn't, it's really noticeable to me that this is a game that just is, uh, it's it's created by people that are maybe stubborn and have their vision and weren't going to change it no matter what. Um, and, and, you know, for me, the, the, the best example of this is just how long the beginning feels to me. Yes, I think you're right. I mean, it kind of, that like two hours in, kind of finally getting out of that first area, it was like, huh. Like, we are at this game's pace. Maybe things are going to finally open up. But then you go into camp, and you have to, like, walk very slowly. And these are all criticisms that people have heard before. I think Um, by, like, the time you get through 50 or 60 hours, it it almost feels like the beginning is short. (laughs) That's fair. That's, that's, yes, good point. Hey, two hours in that experience. That's right, yeah. But, I mean... Don't let me get started about Actually, Dean, on yesterday's podcast, you were saying, like, you really like how it tells you uh, it has a very narrow vision of like where it wants you to be going and, and it's telling you a story and that's what you like about it. Um, and I think a lot of times that does work. Um, but, but when you are on that very narrow path and if you get slightly off center and you're on one of those story missions and you want to go like, maybe look to something that's off to the side, this game doesn't want you to do that. It's not going to let you do that. And most of the time it's going to cause an automatic failure of the mission if you try to go look at something else out of its narrow path. And, and that's just and, uh, that's true. Yeah. 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 And here's eight. the thing. There's nothing wrong with wanting to tell, you know, a specific story in a certain sure. way. Um 
It's just, it feels like the way they want to tell their story fights with the open world nature. But I, I do detect a couple of uh, sort of misimpressions here. Um, well, you know, from the interview with Rockstar, uh, the Rob Nelson guy, uh, he, yeah. he did say, you know, that they, they tried this whole version of the uh, procedural game where everything was emergent and they found it didn't work. And so they actually did have an open mind about, you know, what they were going to try and, f- you know, what they ultimately decided and felt would work. So they... They trialed and, and errored sort of more than probably anybody else uh, ever did over eight years. So I don't, I don't think th- I don't think the singular vision argument is is correct in that. that okay, that's you know what I don't necessarily mean it's a singular vision. It just means that like when they did, I mean, what they wound up with deci- makes you feel well, that. Yeah, like when they were when it came down to make a decision, and it, and they had to say what is this game going to be? I think they had no problem saying. You know what? Who cares what the players want? We know better. We're doing this. This is what a Red Dead Redemption Two has to be. Um, and but and, there, and I think that's where is, I like there the is another in that up your own business comes from. I mean, there is a, sort of like a, a simpler way though to get what you want. I think, and that is is not to do a mission, right? Um, and so you you can you can. Um, you can execute a mission by, you know, sort of going to the map and, and clicking on the next next yellow indicator, right? Right. And then your mission starts. But before that, you have complete freedom of choice to do anything in the world. I mean, you can you can go anywhere. So it's 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 sort of like they decided that uh, on a mission you get the mission done, and that's all you can do. Um, but in between missions, you can do anything you want, and that's where you, we're going to give you emergent play. Yeah, you're right for sure. It's it, it. I just think in a lot of those situations, it's still um, very scripted. I guess it's not like it's just very prescribed. You will be doing certain things, and they will work in a certain way. Um, yeah, and you you cannot finish the campaign if you choose not to do a mission. Um, you can, right, you can and, skip and, and, like, parts of it that are right. hard, but you you have to complete your missions. Right, and, and I'm not saying that like a prescribed uh, series of things and, and things working in a very set way is inherently bad. Th- this award's just about sort of getting the impression uh, that the developer th- thought it really does know better than anyone else and, and kind of uh, seeing how that played out in the game. Yeah, and, and, and that's where I think actually the bulk of my criticism comes from. It just, it just felt like a game where people were very impressed with their own decisions about the way this game was going to be different. And... You know, that just ended up ended up with me not liking it, and that's all. So I had a nitpick, too. And this goes to uh, not just Red Dead Redemption 2, but Assassin's Creed Odyssey. And this award is called, you know, you know, Ain't No Roach. And this is about the horses in both those games, because I like the horses better in The Witcher 3. Uh, and this is a little bit of a joke, because uh, in Witcher 3, Geralt calls every horse he find Roach. Um, no matter what it is, no matter what the horse is, who it is, where do you get it from? It's Roach. And, but I just felt the horses were more responsive, came to you quicker, and were easier to control in The Witcher 3, which was a role-playing game, than Assassin's Creed and Red Dead Redemption 2. Yeah, in Red Dead Redemption 2, this is, I think you're touching on another thing that's exactly part of my, my award, which is they thought no, horses are going to be these their own living creatures in this game. They are going to 
um, have their they're going to have minds of their own, and that means it's they're going to be frustrating the control sometimes, and you're sort of just kind of guiding them, telling them where to go. And that's kind of a good thing, right? I mean, no, no, you know what? It, it could be. It's interesting, and it could be a good thing. Um, it's just also like I, I think it comes from that same place where like their motivation here was who cares what's fun. We're doing what we think is, is going to make Red Dead Redemption to uh, stand out and different. And like, this or is make the way it, things make should it be more done. immersive and feel real instead of fun. Right. Yeah. I, I, I get that that was their goal for me though. What it would do was um, it would, it would frustrate me. It would cause things to get hung up on geometry in a way that was awkward. Um, and it would, it would take me out of the game. So it, it was less immersive for me. Um, but, but yeah, I definitely, I did, I'm right I did there. I detect with the big difference between the uh, Assassin's Creed horses and then the Red Dead horses too, where Assassin's Creed, if you whistled anywhere, your horse would show up, right? In Red Dead, because they're trying for this realism again, if your horse is too far away, it, it won't come. Or if, you know, definitely if you're in an area where it's hard for the horse to get, it won't come. Uh, but if you left your horse a couple of miles back and it's out of whistle range, then it's not going to come. And, and that's a real problem sometimes. Um, the, the only thing that, you know, you're, you're talking about, which was funny was you said, you know, I was trying to make it more immersive, like a real horse. So I'm just thinking, well, at least it doesn't kick you off and, and beck you off like every goddamn horse I've ever ridden. Yeah. And the worst, My the worst, hurt. I mean, the, to me, the absolute worst thing was the lack of fast travel. Right, and so you could fast travel in Red Dead by getting on a train and riding it to another train station, but you left your horse behind. You can't take your horse on the train, and so when you show up at the new place, you have to get a new horse. That's like, yeah, I, that I, is totally I think you, crazy. Like, if, does the train ride go in in real time? Is there a way to skip the train ride? Um, no, the train ride. I think uh, uh, I didn't really do it because of that reason. I didn't because well, I because I, I remember like I would um <laughs> I would get on trains to rob them and I would whistle for my horse and my horse. I think if you, what what it is if you have a good enough relationship with your horse, the horse will follow alongside the train. Because I remember getting my horse to, to do that a bunch. Um, uh, this isn't a Red Dead tips and tricks podcast. We can move on from this, but that, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. But yes, the overall point there is just like they they have some some real strong ideas about uh, immersion. And for me, it didn't always work because people are different and are, and are going to have a different idea of like what immersion sh should feel like. So the deeper you go down that, that your own singular idea of what immersion feels like, the more people you're going to turn off or the people you turn off are going to be turned off very uh, uh, resoundingly. Like I was just really repelled by a lot of the, these, uh, the aspects of this game uh, for that reason. Um, but I think we can move on. We might have some other Red Dead Redemption 2 stuff uh, to talk about in in this uh, episode. But I think, um, well, Jason, you've you got a couple it, here. They're... Why don't you go, go ahead and give us one of yours? Oh, what, what did Dean just say? Oh, I yeah, was saying, did, did you want to hit the one about 100-hour weeks as well? Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that, you're right. Let's do that right now. So, yeah, go ahead, Dean. Give us that award. Uh, so, yeah, uh, 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 what's his name? Dan, Dan, uh, Dan Hauser. Um Made yeah, the okay. mistake in an in in his, in an interview, like the first interview he seemed to give in years, uh, where he said, you know, he was kind of bragging and said we worked 100 hour weeks, and uh, you know he's he's the head of the whole project and um, the head of uh, something like 3,000 people who contributed, and uh, it sort of uh, you know set everybody else on fire about uh, you know the 
the allegations of unpaid crunch time and whether Rockstar Star forced its people to work 100-hour weeks in order to get the game done. And, you know, the odd thing is, is that if you look at the labor involved in this game, 3,000 people, some of them working for eight years, it's like, it's like the most hours ever dedicated to any game. Uh, and, and, and then he says, you know, we're, we're doing 100-hour weeks. And, like, there, there's a certain logic there that suggests that the comment isn't true. Like, uh, he, he later backtracked and said, I was talking about our writer's group. Uh, you know, just like four of us or something like that. Um, and it was taken out of context. Uh, but then, you know, then they had, then they opened this can of worms and other people complained. Yeah, I happened to be working 100 hour weeks and then Rockstar was a horrible place to work. Uh, but, th- but then you're, you're going like, well, you know, did they not hire enough people? Well, they, they had 3,000 people working on this. Right. Yeah. Uh, at a certain so, point, like hiring more people is just going to be, <laughs> more work because you have to train them all and you have to get them all working well, on the same um, thing. And that means you need more managers and just it, sort of, it's just sort of expands. like a, like a, 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 you know, like a statement that cannot be true because you know that some people worked hard. Some people did not work hundred hour weeks. We had 3000 people. We don't have a real way of judging this. Or, or, yeah. But even, but even it, people that didn't work ignited this hour controversy. Work weeks, they also worked hard though. Yeah. I mean, it, it ignited a controversy that didn't have to be there at all. Right. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I but I, it was a good thing that we talked about it and it was like, yeah, it was this weird like situation where, um, that's a weird flex, but okay. Like that could actually be the name of the award, but yeah, it, it like you're here clearly trying to, um, create this aura around this game. Uh, and, and I, I and I think the implication there, even if the exact sentence is we worked 100 hour weeks, um, even if that isn't ex- like exactly true or exactly, exactly factual, um, I think the implication is probably still um, accurate or truthful overall in that this game required so much work from so many people um, that they really were kind of probably going overboard, maybe hurting themselves from too much uh, too much work over and, time. And if he and, had and, simply, yeah, go ahead, Dean. like if he had simply rephrased it as um, we were trying to set a new bar. Everybody right, yeah. happy, but then that's like, <laughs> but the, yeah, but then that's like the corporate speak to sort of get around what, like, what is the actual issue here? Which is, um, are games like this viable or possible? No, clearly this game is. It is selling very well. It's already the, the number two best-selling game of 2018, and it just it, came out last month. And it's coming um, from a studio that has a mega money generator in Grand Theft Auto Online. Yes, yeah, they are doing you know, very so well. That could really, that could help cover a lot of those. Yeah, really Red Dead Online is live Right, exactly. So they they have time to like put all this time in there, but uh, when it comes down to it, when you're making a game this big with this much stuff, and it's not very procedural, like we were talking about in the last award, it's not very procedural. So it's like these are all pre-prescribed, pre-scripted sequences that are happening all the time throughout the world. Um, to create something like that does require this amount of of labor, um, and it it. It's definitely the, the the comment that made me like the most um, anxious about the future of video games because it's like if this game succeeds and and it succeeds because of the labor that they put into it and I would I would say that the people that love this game love it because of how elaborate it is and how much work there was put into it and it signals to everyone else like this is the new bar like you said Dan like if, they, if he said that well they they they've accomplished that this is this does feel like the new bar. And I just don't know if other developers or anyone else is really going to be able to match that without potentially 
having to get until a, into a lot of uh, crunch time or something like that. But I guess on the other hand, maybe this game is so a, big and so intimidating that no one else will try it. I mean, it was quite a surprise, though, that uh, God of War beat this game, uh, and that was made over a long time still, but with just 300 people, right? So, and uh, what, what do you mean? Be, oh, you mean beat it for Game for the, of the Year? At, uh, yeah, for, for game, game Awards, awards yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th- there are a couple benefits from, from this discussion. First of all, um, you know, crunch has been an, an, a topic that's been coming up a lot, but it seems like it got um, new focus and new discussions around it because of what Dan said in his interview. Um, and it seems like the industry is finally starting to really take it seriously, as in the past, I didn't think the industry was taking it seriously. Um and then it's I also, come in waves. But, yeah, but but I think this time it's going to stick. Uh, I, th- I I think we're going to see more discussion about it at GDC. We're going to see more efforts to unionize, and I I think this could be the turning point. Um, but the other well, thing too is I want that that combined with Telltale, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the other thing I want to point out, and I I think this is only fair, is that you know. The media also needs to look at its practices. Take a look at the three of us. Uh, when's the last time we worked forty-hour weeks? Right, for sure. And and um, you know, I guess I don't want to say that like anyone has to work forty hours, or like you can't you can't like pour yourself into a project that you're dedicated to. People should have some leeway to do that. Um, I think what the idea here is is that this culture can't come from the top, and it can't. Um, and and it like you really the what, what should be coming down from the top is a, is a culture of uh, caring for your employees and actually stepping in and saying hey we really appreciate how hard you're working but you need to take some time for yourself and I think that's what we have like you you say like we don't work we, like when's the last time we worked forty hour weeks and you know we work more than that pr- almost every week for sure but like I, I think our culture is and, and Jason you're very good at this is stepping in and saying oh you need a day take a day no questions asked go do it take it like we're not. That's fine. You need to do it. And you need to feel comfortable in knowing that you can do that. When when Dan Hauser is giving his first interview in years and says, and the one thing he's bragging about is working, you know, 100 hour work weeks and ha- having all these people kind of like pouring all their souls into the, into, into this game. Um, he's not, that, that's not creating a culture where people can feel comfortable about saying, I do feel overworked or burnt out or, or anything. They're going to be like, Oh, that's the, 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 you know, the level I have to reach. Or I'm not going to be considered as someone who's working hard. And that's even how he put it. He put it like, um, we don't force anybody to work hard in his follow-up statement about this. Um, he didn't say we don't for- force anyone to work like more than 40 hours. He says we don't force anyone to work hard. So even in his like clarifying statement, he is equating uh, working hard with working more than 100 hours or working more than 40 hours and almost 100 hours. Um, and I think, and, you know... And, and, that, that creating that culture is does seem to be the overall issue. Yeah, I mean this this is also connected to the the whole Me Too movement too, and and that what's different now is that people are starting to care and hold people accountable for these things. So so Dan was held accountable for that comment, and uh, you know Riot Games. You look at them; they were they were held accountable for uh, sexual or you know creating a culture that flowed down from the top. Uh, that tolerated uh, sexual harassment or or appeared to, and um, and they were held accountable for it uh, this year. Yeah, I think that can be uh, so. I can kind of get into the next one. So, um, you know, this is a, 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 like 
I, I, honestly, this award should go to uh, uh, Cecilia at Kotaku who reported this story, and then anyone who kind of spoke out, anyone who, at Riot or formerly at Riot, who uh, who spoke to Cecilia and and tried to get some uh, people at Riot to be accountable. Um, but it, but yeah, like so. For anyone who doesn't know, uh, Riot Games seems to have a culture of sexual harassment or sexual discrimination, and and or. Uh, just an overall sort of broy atmosphere that does seem inappropriate, especially in 2018, especially after Me Too. Um, the the most recent thing is, and I'm not gonna be able to remember his name off the top of my head, but the COO has been, um, I guess, put on temporary leave uh, because he would. I mean, let's, I will just say it, he was farting in people's faces and like doing ball checks, which is the weird thing where you go up to another guy and you're like, oh, tapped your balls, which is. I just can't imagine anyone doing that at a workplace at all, uh, let alone a CEO. Yeah, it was Scott, you know that Scott again, Gale. yeah, like you were saying that this leads into that. This is that creating that culture at the top is going to filter down in a really toxic way, and it sounds like that's exactly what what was happening at Riot. Yeah, and he was suspended for two months without pay. Yeah, but like that suspension was like um, maybe the thing that kind of got me the most frustrated about this because, like, in their statement about his 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 suspension. They're like, he's going to return as a leader in 2019. And I mean, look, I, I get that that's the goal, but to just flat out state that he will return as a leader is to give him um, credit that has not been earned yet. Like leadership is a role you earn. It is, and you, you earn it through uh, behavior and not just by like taking time off to learn how to behave in the first place and then just stating it like, oh, now I've, I've done the leadership thing. It, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's like it, saying we gave you a vote of no confidence, but you're welcome to come back. Yeah, and that's exactly, and they're not even just welcome to come back. You're coming back, and you're going to be in charge again. And it just feels it feels gross. Well, you know, it's just like a Facebook. Uh, you know, you talk about leadership being earned. Uh, how did Zuckerberg earn it? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and one could argue that you know he needs to get his butt out of there now more than any time before. Yeah, and I, I mean, at a certain point, like if uh, you were continuing to do the same stuff over and over. Uh, and maybe, you know what? You're right. Maybe the lesson of Zuckerberg is, uh, no, one or one or two fuck ups is enough. Actually, we don't need to wait for you to do it five or six times, uh, before you, uh, just lose your job or you lose your role. Um, but the, and at a certain the, point, like, uh, go ahead, Dean. Oh uh, yeah. To me, the, with the riot thing, the, the most disturbing thing was about, um, it came out after Cecilia's uh, story ran, uh, when another, you know, male manager uh, said he uh, he complained uh, to upper management, um, and then got pulled into sort of like a dressing down conversation with the founders, uh, who then uh, sort of asserted back at him, you know, why isn't it okay for us to make jokes that have uh, you know sexual in innuendo? Like, well, you right. know, we don't we don't want to be boring like EA, so therefore we should be allowed to do this sexual banter. Um, and, you know, that was coming from the founder of the company is, pre is pretty damning um, kind of conversation that, uh, that this manager reported, uh, who then said, you know, he felt like he was on the outs after, after mm -hmm. he took yeah, how would you risk that way? Like, you're like <laughs> after he took the risk of going, you know, upstairs and saying, Hey, you know, this, this stuff that you put into the official PowerPoint of our, of our retreat and this other, um, commentary you know it was really kind of sexist and uh i've had people complain to me and so he goes to them and then he he kind of gets you know um i don't know 
Yeah, Slap shut back down. Like he just yeah. get like he. What, they basically just said, uh, "Yeah, so we don't care." Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so like, so then leading into the into the suspension for the COO, if th- this is your history, and these are the 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 examples we have to go on, to then say this guy will return and will be in leadership, um, it just seems like. Okay, my gut here tells me like things aren't going to change. You're not really interested in in shifting anything. You just want to avoid looking looking bad, and you're doing kind of the bare minimum here. But I think Riot is making the argument that it uh, it is attempting to change, and uh, you know, yeah, they're, that's the, definitely the argument they're making. It's just I, I think they're going to have to sort of produce results before they uh, can sort of claim victory or a return or a uh, or, or or having achieved that goal. So uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, we did a couple of deaners there. Um, the, the one thing I want to throw in here is I, I think that every big company, you know, tech or not, gaming or not, really needs to to give their HR departments the power, the authority, the backing, and the support to to really enforce appropriate behavior. Yeah, because it, it just sounds like in it's so many places. Either HR doesn't exist, or HR doesn't have the authority to to actually step in and do something about these problems. Yeah, um, and, and that's a shame because you know everyone, man or woman, gay or straight, Muslim, Jew, Hindu, Christian, uh, black, white, brown, should be able to feel comfortable in reporting a problem when they see it and feel like their job's going to be safe. Because yes. I I can't think of a worse punishment than reporting an issue and then getting punished for it. Yep, and then yeah, or just being flat out told I don't care. Yeah, uh, in, in so many words. Um, and l- let me go to this one real quick, just to kind of so we can get all of these topics out of the way real quick uh, right off the top. Um, this one is the why is this okay in video games award, and it goes to Ninja for not streaming with women. Um. I called it the "Why Is This Okay in Video Games" award because if uh, Jimmy Kimmel came out yesterday, came out tomorrow and said, "I'm no longer going to have women guests on my show uh, because of my marriage," uh, he would be fired. He would get fired, and he would lose his job. He would lose his sponsors, and no one would work with him. And he would be ostracized and thrown out uh, of the industry, um, especially if he did not change his policy re- relatively quickly. Um, the idea that uh, that Ninja can do this and sort of get away with it is is really confusing to me and it, it's really weird that uh continually he just sort of continues to get these um uh positions or or recognition or awards at the game awards um he gets sponsorships people want to work with him twitch continues to promote him uh epic continues to work with him he's he, he, not only is he just like not even getting criticized for it he's getting he continues to get rewarded uh it, it seems like um I understand his reasoning and, and, and him saying like, Oh, people will think I'm flirting with the, uh, with the, with the guest if, if I have a woman on and that will cause problems for my marriage. But you know, you're in a position where, um, when you say things will cause a problem for me, so I'm not going to do them. If that means excluding an entire gender, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't really care about your problems at that point. Like, like you, there's a better solution. There has to be a better answer than what the one you've come up with. Uh, well, and I just don't know why this is okay. It's also is, you know, what is the culture that's come up around streamers where people think if you have a woman as a guest, you're flirting with them? 
I mean, and, and, and he's in a position to deal with that, right? He's in a position to sort of criticize that and sort of explore it and figure it out and undo it. Yeah, because that's just stupid. Uh, uh, you know, it's how a, long it's have you been to on radio <laughs> shows, on television shows? It's, you know, I don't know if that comes from the streamer culture or the audience of the streamer culture. I mean, it's, definitely, it's definitely social media culture and like um, feeling like you will have a, a close personal relationship with these people because they are just regular people on Twitch or on Instagram or whatever. And I want to know about their personal lives. And you know what? I do know about their personal lives and we're going to make a YouTube video about that. Cause people want to know about it. Look, there is a lot of toxicity there for sure. Um, I, I just don't like it. You just can't say the answer to this is to not stream with women. Um, yeah, it's, and especially it's like because a overreaction. To stream with men. It's like an overreaction to a non-existent threat. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I do think that, like, well, you know, it's an example of putting a foot in a mouth, for sure. Uh, but there, there are so many other things bad about some influencers out there. Um, you know, we, we could get, get started with Dr. Disrespect uh, making fun of Asian people yep. by mimicking some kind of Asian speech, right? Or uh, Yeah, I'm, in you know, those cases, though, I think a lot of, a lot of the, wife, these other streamers you know, have sort of paid some of a price where... Uh, it does seem like they've lost some of their cachet and some sponsors are less willing to work with them. Uh, clearly not, not like, I, I don't think it's equal to like what would happen if a person on, uh, uh, if a TV personality had done a lot of these same things, they are, they would have been uh, in a lot more trouble. And I think we saw that with like Megan Kelly on uh, uh, NBC or whatever she was on. Yeah. Um, or PewDiePie talking show. about his, you know, today's show, not right, the yeah. symp- sympathy and all that. Right, yeah. I mean, and PewDiePie, PewDiePie has like sort of paid a price, but he's still making like twelve million dollars a year or something like that. Well, there's uh, a whole cause... Washington Post piece about about him talking about his, you know, actually talking to nine year olds who watch him. That just went up today. Yeah, and and you know, and he continues to be uh, the fastest growing channel because they're in 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 what I would characterize as a relatively racist uh, battle with another channel, this Indian Hollywood trailer channel that is. Uh, it's popular because it turns out India has a lot of people and people who considered YouTube their who consider YouTube their home turf and consider PewDiePie the mascot of that home turf are feeling threatened by this incoming culture that they don't recognize and don't uh, and aren't familiar with and they're responding by like just promoting PewDiePie and say hey go subscribe to PewDiePie because we need to win this fight and uh, and he is completely 100% like saying, yeah, let's, let's do this. And, and it does, all of that comes from uh, what I would characterize as, as a racist, a racist place. So, uh, yeah, like there's a lot of bad stuff happening in this, in this whole side of things. It just, to, to me, the one thing that it does seem like Ninja did just get away with, with this, but he's and he continues to get away with it without any repercussions. And it's, uh, that's the most frustrating one to me for sure. I guess he um, did stream with Ellen. Yes, he went on her television show for sure. He'll stream with the woman if it's uh, if it's going to increase his profile for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so yeah, there's uh, a bunch of stuff from Jason. Jason, why don't you give us one or two of your awards? Okay, so mine, mine are on a smaller scale, but uh, the first one that I'm going to talk about uh, just shows, you, you know, that it's not really a bad award, Um I'm gonna, but I'm calling it as, hey, why am I playing the baby version when I can play the real thing, which is Final Fantasy Pocket Edition on Switch. It's not a bad game. It's very good, in fact. But I put in about 15 hours of it this year. Um, It came out this year. And I realized after about those 15 hours and how much enjoyable time I was having, it's like, wait a second. 
I could just go back to the console version, which I did, and I put in another 35 on that. That's really weird. That's re- I, I, I just did not know what to make of that game when it got revealed. It, it, what it is, is, you know, it's, it, it's, it's your first Final Fantasy 15. Wait, is um, the gameplay changed? Is it, is it like really simpler, or is it just, does it just look simpler so that it will, it will run well on mobile and Switch? It's 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 a little changed. Movement's a little changed. Perspective is changed, um, but otherwise it, it's not it's not much different. But you know some of that freedom you get in in, in the big game isn't there in the little game, um, and I just thought that was really funny that I had spent a lot of time in it and I realized oh yeah let's just go back to the to the big one, um, but it succeeds at what it does which is. Um, you know, adapted for a smaller for for a smaller machine and, and definitely on mobile. And it, I mean, it's good. It's just, it's just, it's like I realized I would have a more enjoyable time playing it on the bigger one. So I just went to that. Um, the next one I have on my list is the worst. Let's build a castle mid game of the year, which is Nino Kuni Two. Um, you know, it, it's it's not uncommon in role playing games to have a port where you're building a city or you're building a castle. Um, you see it at Baldur's Gate. You see it in Pillars of Eternity. You see it in Neverwinter Nights 2 at one point. So so that itself, there's no problem with. And, and there's nothing, I don't have any issues with that. It's just, it doesn't feel like it fit the tone of um, Nino Kuni. And it just was boring. I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy the goals that you had associated with it. And it's too bad Mike's not here because he played the game and we could have talked about it, but I don't think either of you did. No, but it, it reminds me of that um, of that sudden tower defense game that popped up in Assassin's Creed Re- Revenge. I can't, I can't remember. It's the one after Brotherhood. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just like these weird, these weird, um, sort of boring, sort of half-assed mechanics to get thrown into a game halfway through. Yeah, uh, or how sport never. turns into a strategy game at the end. Yes, yeah, Which um, was really weird. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then I have some others, but the last one I really do here before we go to Dean is, um, is I'm a bad Tolkien fan award, which goes to the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game because I got that. I played it for a little bit, and then I completely forgot to go back to it. And it's a fantastic adaptation of the Lord of the Rings Living Card Game. Um, if you enjoy card games but don't want to have to deal with uh, buying card packs, this is the type for you. But I just feel like I'm a bad Tolkien fan because I haven't played it enough. I'm a, I, I, I'm like at a point where I don't even know if I ever even liked Lord of the Rings. That's where I'm at, Jason. I don't know. <laughs> What do I do? Do I go back and watch the movies again and see if I like them? Yeah. But okay. but here here's the thing. How how you're gonna tell how you feel about them is gonna go with um when your kid gets old enough to get into Tolkien, if you Fair decide enough. to get her into it. Uh, yes. for example, um Dean, did you read The Hobbit to your children when they were little? Uh, I read The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion to my first kid. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I, so read, I read, uh, the Hobbit. read the Lord of the Rings to my second kid. The, the third one would have not, none of it. She <laughs> was she was so enamored with uh, mobile phones. Yeah. So I, I just about a month ago I finished the Hobbit with my my two boys, and um, they're not quite ready yet for Lord of the Rings, but um, they'll Harry be Potter. the next one that we big one that we read together. Um, 
Um, I think we have, we, Dean only has one more, so we'll save his for a little bit. I'll, I'll do one of mine. Um, let's see here. Uh, yes, the best game at saving me time by being bad. Uh, and this one goes to Fallout 76. About time we got here. Um, so. Uh, we got Bank's not here, because he had I know, thoughts. yeah. Yes, yeah, I think he had a similar feeling award. Um, I, I, uh, this game came out in November, and it was bad, and I felt like I didn't have to play it, basically. Like, or didn't have to play much of it. I could put it down and, and just feel good about that and move on to other stuff. And boy, was that, like, a really good time for something like that to happen because there was so much that came out like right after that in December that was super interesting that I liked a lot. Uh, like mutant year zero being one of the, the top ones there. Um, a few others uh, like, and now I feel like, Oh, I don't, I still don't have to go back to fallout 76 so I can maybe try Ashen or something. Oh, um, mutant year zero is a treat. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I think if, uh, if I was pouring time, even if it was like an okay game, if I was just like, Oh, I'm going to keep going in fallout 76. I want to see, I really liked fallout four. Maybe there's some stuff here, um, but it's just it, you know I just bounced right off. There was not much there for me. It's not gonna it's not gonna ever bring me bring me in. I don't think. Um, so yeah, like I, I want to say thank you, Fallout seventy six, for saving me some time, which is really the greatest gift any game could give me at that point of the year. Like yeah, be be more. We need more bad games. Is, is my my position and my platform for when I run for president. Um, or games where you can figure out in the first five minutes whether they're for you or not. It, yes, for sure. We need more of those. You're right. Like if other, if other people love them, go to town. Um, but hopefully you didn't pay your sixty bucks. Yeah, the opposite of that was uh, for me was uh, Sea of Thieves, which I'm still not sure if I like or not. Um, I think I probably you keep would. Playing it. I know. I, I want. Yeah, I want to keep. I want to keep getting back into it. I want to like go out in there with the crew. But that's a hard part. Is like. I really think I would enjoy it most with a with a crew or at least one other person, and trying to get some other people to play it is difficult. But um, you know, by the time folks listen to this, Atlas, the new um, pirate game that was shown off at the Game Awards, will be out in, in early access on Steam, and I'm looking forward to that pirate game. Yes, I, and I still want to try that one as well. Um, all right, Jason, let's let's you and me go back and forth for a little bit, and then we'll do Dean's okay. turn in a little bit. So give give me one of yours again, Jason. Okay, so. Um, my next one is this is Sparta. This is boring. Um, I hate <laughs> the opening. I hate the opening of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, I don't like playing one character and then starting the game over after putting a little bit of time in with another character. I understand the whole purpose of it is to teach you the um, the ropes. You know, yeah, the, it's, system it's and the how abilities, to... right? Yeah. Teasing the things you're going to have later. But do that with your main character. Yeah. You know, I don't want to play King Leonides. I wanted to play, I, you know, I wanted to play Cassandra, a kick-ass Spartan woman fighter. Well, to be fair, that's a very short uh, beginning. <laughs> so. it, it is short, but I still did not like that part. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I mean, think like they're, the, they're the, trying the to make Leonidas a point. Part was short, but then like the um, well, they're trying to the make island, a point like that it was the, actually the, the island wasn't as long as something like Red Dead Redemption, but it was it was pretty. Um, it was pretty long. It was long enough to be like, oh man, I, like I'm still kind of stuck as this character in this place where I'm not doing much. Oh, I um, like the island though. Yeah. Oh, fair enough. Okay, well, I, I mean, I, I think you Never mind. You're wrong. Then I think the point that was lost with, that they were trying to make is that the spear that Leonidas held was important. Yeah. And and it would come back later in the game as like so so it's almost like we're not starting with your main character. We're starting with your main weapon. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gotten yeah. to that part yet. Yeah, yeah, but, but then, to be fair, like that thing that you're doing in that section with King Leonidas, um, those those are the worst parts of the game. Those big battles, yeah, because they're really just 
yeah, they're, they're chaotic. Back, and you've got to find the guys that are important to take out to finish the battle. And it's 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 not nearly as fun as even like a Dynasty Warriors game. So no, it I, wasn't I a think, great first impression. You know, when, and then they, what's interesting is, and then you get to the island, which I really enjoy, um, because you're dealing with the just like, in my opinion, the everyday problems of your character. You know, dealing dealing with her friends with the vineyard and, and dealing with having the, you know, I mean, it's not an everyday problem. Not everyone has to fight off bounty hunters, but <laughs> but but in the context of this story, it, I feel like I'm just living, you know, a slice of her life, and, and I really liked that part. So, you know, there there's that transition that didn't really work for me either. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you were making a movie about this story, right, um, you would. You would start with the part where she is sort of reminiscing back and she finds a mission and she goes out to the open sea and that is your beginning. I mean, uh, you know, it's a, I think it's a very compelling um, beginning to an epic story. Uh, but it's a game and, and so you do all this open world stuff for a couple of hours or so before you get to that. And it, it, it is one of these kinds of, you know, uh, uh, pieces of entertainment where it's trying to decide, you know, am I one thing for a certain group of players, which is the open world for people who like emergent gameplay, uh, or am I a story game uh, for people who just want to, you know, a straight shot to the end of a single story. And, you know, the... I, I, I think with Ubisoft games, you know, uh, I, I think there's less control they have over this than the guys at uh, at Rockstar and Red Dead, right? I mean, Red Dead was tightly controlled in that way. God of War was even extremely tightly controlled, right? Uh, right. This game is a little too open for me, and and you know, it you, you sort of lose your motivation when you have to go and do something really dramatic, uh, but in the meantime, you're going aside and picking berries or something, right? Fair enough. Now, I, I think that's I, a lot of that stuff works for me because I can kind of pick and choose how I want to uh, approach different situations. And um, I always kind of, I, I was always treating everything that I was doing as like preparation for my character and getting to a point where I could take on that next big challenge. And I, I and I had some criticisms of the way the game did make you feel like you had to grind some sometimes, but I think it helped with, with exactly what you're talking about there, where, you know, if I'm going to go off and do all these other missions while I have this like pressing thing over here, but the pressing thing is too high level for me, I'll go do some of this other stuff to the side and, and sort of get my character to a point where she's prepared for this next battle. And uh, it, it kept me like going in a nice loop, getting yeah. back and uh, going from that side stuff to the main stuff. Yeah, I think when it when it works into the story that way, that's good. Like with Shadow of the Tomb Raider, uh, you show up at this hub that's a very large open place where you can go and do a bunch of missions. Uh, but they tell you right up front, um, you can either go straight to the ending of the game or you can prepare and make your character stronger so that you can survive the ending of the game, right? And and that's that's at that's at least enough clarity for you to figure out what you want to do. Um, whereas you know some of these games, you have no idea uh, whether you should go up against something you know that maybe you're not yeah. ready for. Um, let's see. So hi, uh, I think hi, Mike. Hey, Mike's here. Hooray! Uh, it's Mike's turn to do a couple of awards. 
<laughs> Mike survived. That's my favorite award of the year. Yeah, I, I always were getting sick the week before Christmas. Sucks yeah. to get a bad award. <laughs> it's, it's, time it's, in there. It, it's better than getting sick at Christmas. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah, you, know, you, you got to keep your time for playing games during the, the holidays. Hmm. I spent a Christmas day in the emergency room once, oh, Mike. So, yeah. I always get sick on New Year's Eve. Every I feel like every year I get sick on that day, but that's uh, I, I wanted to talk about myself there because we were talking too much about Mike. So I understand. Um, <laughs> okay, you're up, Mike. Do you have a yeah? You have an award. Wait, Mike's to... not awake yet. Let's uh, let's give <laughs> yeah, a break for a second. Yeah, let, we'll let him uh, kind of hop in here. Okay. We'll yeah. Here. What's like, what's what's awards? Okay. <laughs> I uh, let's see. I got one here. I want to get out of the way. Um, the uh, John McAvee Award for destroying wealth and wasting my time, and uh, that goes to blockchain, um, <laughs> which is just come on. Like I don't know. Like I think there was a period there where I'm like, okay, I guess I'm listening. And, and I mean, let me just like real quick, give people the pitch that we've gotten a uh, literally probably a thousand times this past year uh, about blockchain and how it fits in with gaming. So blockchain is the underlying technology that, uh, that basically creates Bitcoin. Um, it is a distributed ledger uh, is the best way to put it, which means just a bunch of different computers throughout the world all have the same ledger. And anytime someone wants to make a transaction, uh, you know, against this ledger, all of the ledgers have to change at the same time. That's blockchain. That's what gives Bitcoin its security and, and apparently its value. Um, so people were saying, well, we're going to use this blockchain technology to give people ownership over like digital items. And, and then we're going to enable them to sort of um, mine or, or to play games and earn this digital currency. And they'll be able to spend that digital currency in games. And there were multiple startups, like dozens of startups, it felt like dealing with this blockchain tech and saying, oh, we're going to apply it to video games. And nothing happened with any of them. And it just, it was just like, got to this point where every time I saw that word in my inbox, my eyes glazed over and I just immediately threw it away. I could not care less. Jeff, you're, you're oversimplifying a large market once again. <laughs> well, there is no large market yet. There's maybe potential, but even then, there, there's, there's potential definitely no market. market. No one's here's using what, it. Here's what I say is going to happen. Okay, just think back to the dot com uh, crash and then the internet boom that came after it. It's the same thing that's going to happen here. There's actually two thousand currencies out there. Um, I would I would hazard to guess a hundred or two hundred of them could be related uh, to um, to games. And they're not all going to succeed. Most of them are going to fail. Um, the challenge for them right now is to make things simple enough uh, for consumers to adopt them. And then uh, once they adopt them, then, then you can have this great uh, sort of benefit accruing for people where like the blockchain will give you unique collectible items that you can own or transfer to a new game or resell. Um, it removes some power uh, that is misplaced in the hands of publishers who basically let you rent out your characters. Uh, and when they want to shut down a game, they shut it down, right? And then <laughs> your character is gone. And you're paying them all this money, but you're not owning that, that character. So there, there's a certain consumer rights thing that comes into play here that if blockchain succeeds, then it's going to be a great benefit for gamers, right? Um, there's the other I, I, um, thing about I'm, stores where, you know, like if your transactions are 
are transparent and verifiable and secure, then those stores can pay developers almost immediately. Um, this is something that like um, uh, Robot Cash came up with as an idea a year ago, but they failed to execute on because the SEC started cracking down on the issuance of new cryptocurrencies, right? And so they kind of backed off on this idea. But it was, I, I think it was a good idea that instead of getting paid in 60 days by Steam, you could get paid in six hours by whoever's running the blockchain-based store. Uh, that's that's a good idea. So I think there's so, good good ideas yeah. here. But that it, here it's going to play out. There's going to be a lot of scams. But then after some point, when it all settles out, we're going to have some major new players in the game business. My my thing here, though, Dean is is you know pitch us on something concrete mm-hmm. and, and not just hypotheticals because we're at the point now where anytime you push back on these people with these pitches. They don't have anything concrete to tell you. They're just talking about hypotheticals. And it's like, okay, well, you know, this is the 400th time I've heard this pitch. Mm-hmm. Well, in, in the, you uh, know, Robot Cash like, does have 700 games that they're going to have in a store. Uh, no, I, 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 I don't doubt the hypothetical potential here. And I don't doubt um, the benefits that could come if people adopted it. The, 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 the weak link in the chain is the one that we glossed over there, Dean. And it's getting people to adopt this. I just, I don't see that happening. I don't see how, especially when there are so many exist, existing infrastructures in, in, in place to easily do basically the same things that, that, that blockchain claims it could, it could do, but without um, the same, like giving, like it doesn't have any concern for consumer rights. Like you can own a digital item on Steam and you could sell it and you can, you can make a currency that works in the Steam store uh, by selling your digital items. Now, and like you said, if Steam shuts down, they could just take all those digital items away, and that's that. But most people don't care. Most people like and and you know publishers don't care about cons- like consumer rights. I just don't see the the benefit here. Now, like the one thing that you did say was um, developers getting paid in six hours. Maybe maybe that is the one thing that could work. I just also don't see uh, anyone you know, they, really wanting to get paid another, in a digital currency. They had another good idea about you know uh, allowable resale of used games, right? Um, so in that case, uh, 70% of the, uh, the money would still go to a publisher. Uh, well, 20 25% goes to the gamer and 5% goes to Robot Cash. Like that was and, all. And, and really I, could, good I idea. could see the potential of that happening, but you know who's not going to control that? Robot Cash. No way. No way does Robot Cash have But the any... publishers like it. That's no, the, publishers that's like the it, but they'll do it themselves. And they'll run their own sort of blockchain. Only uh, if they can amass a lot of people for a store. Uh, but yeah, if but Robot I mean, like, Cash it, amasses it, like, a lot of people for a store, then they're going to do it. But if Steam said tomorrow, you could start selling your used games, but you just have to opt into our blockchain. Mm-hmm. They like Blockchain that, wins. That would, that would, that that would point, demolish anyone, any other competitor in a second. Right. And I mean, so, if Amazon adopts blockchain, that, like they have blockchain. such high pie, like high in the sky ideas that are just never going to pan out. There's just way too much. They're, well, they're not I, I think the, the value of the enough. startups, the value of the startups is they can either win and get the mainstream audience, or they can force the mainstream companies, like say Amazon or Steam, to adopt it. Yeah, and look, for sure, and, and like. And I agree that there that there's going to be something done with blockchain in some way. It, it is an interesting technology. It's just it is still it feels like a waste of my time. And so far, the the biggest thing it's done is basically just destroy people's wealth. People have invested a lot of money in uh, Bitcoin and in in Ethereum, 
just a hard thing to say. I will, I will um, grant and- that it's hard to survive the scams. And like there was a new scam that emerged la- uh, this week, you know, where, um, you know, one of the things people were saying to, sh- to prove that we're not a scam is that we have high transaction volume. Like if there's lots and lots of people trading our currency, our cryptocurrency, then, you know, then, you know, we're real. We're not, we're not, we're not fake. We're not a scam. Well, it turns out that there are, there's these bots that people could adopt to create fake transactions to yep. <laughs> mask the fact that they don't have that many transactions. Yeah. Uh, so the risk so. reward here is just not very, it's not a very good price. Man, if I knew you guys were going to be talking about blockchain and crypto money, I would have stayed in bed. <laughs> I got hey, some Minotti monies for all you. Who wants some of my Minotti <laughs> monies? Ooh. Initial coin offering. All right, I'm in there. Um, <laughs> I got a deal for you, Mike. Stay on to the end of this conversation. I'm going to give you ten crypto coins in. Uh, oh, I only want Dean 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 dollars. That's the only one for me. <laughs> Deanlers. Um, all right, Jason. Why don't, you, why don't we get a couple more years out of the way, and then we'll start uh, going around the horn again. Sounds good. Sounds good. So my next one is for is called the Caving into Japanese Shareholders Award. And this is for Dragalia Lost, which is Nintendo's latest mobile game. Um, I hate it. It's boring. It's not very pretty. It's not very interesting. It's total free-to-play nonsense. Um, and it, Nintendo didn't make it. Crygames made it. Um, but it's devoid of any charm that you get with a Nintendo game. It doesn't feel like a Nintendo game. It doesn't play like a Nintendo game. It, it really just feels like somebody at Nintendo said, okay, we need to do something to shut up all these people asking us to make a free-to-play mobile game with lots of transactions in it. And that's that's all I have to say about it. Yeah, I, I was trying to see if like where it is on the charts. Is It, it probably is making money, right? It is making money. It, it's going yeah. to make money. That's just the way these yeah. things work. Not a lot. I mean, you almost feel like... I mean, I guess I, it must not be true, but like part of me feels like Nintendo is like cooled off on mobile just a bit because they have so much going on with Switch now. And I mean, really, they're only, I mean, Super Mario Run did fine, but it seems like the only one of the mobile games that was a real big moneymaker for them was, was Fire Emblem, right? I'm sure they all made money, but that seemed to be the only one that there was any excitement around. Yeah, well, you know, this one is making money. Its first couple of weeks were pretty profitable. You know, you know, 50 million is nothing to sneeze at. In the mobile market for it's, your um, right now in the United States, it's it's number ninety. Uh, it's the number ninety highest grossing game overall, and o- like overall, like for all apps, it's one fifty. So that's not that's, that's not, not great. Bad. Yeah, but it's uh, but, it, you know it's going to be stronger in Japan. Uh, yeah, and I was just I was going to say in Japan, it's um number thirty fall number thirty four o- overall thirty fall um say thirty four uh thirty fall and. In Japan, that's probably actually not very good because almost all of the money made in that country by mobile games is like the top three or four games. Um, so yeah, this probably isn't doing as well as they may be expected. I wonder how Fire Emblem's doing. I might just pop that in there real quick as well. Um, but yeah, I got I this was, I just had no interest in it at all. It came yeah. out and I, I I have it installed on my phone and have literally never even opened it. Um, you, you have I do think it's game. a nice uh, nod towards uh, this trend of getting more hardcore stuff onto mobile. Is but it's hardcore, not hardcore. Well, like, you know, getting towards uh, better graphics, you know, it, it looks good. Uh, 
things like the you know arena of valor lineage to revolution um this command and conquer rivals game you know the the graphics in these games are are looking much better and i'm i'm glad to see mobile you know move on move on from really crappy graphics right? yeah but here's here's the thing lineage 2 is a good game mm-hmm. i enjoy playing that it feels like a really good transition of an action rpg to mobile um dragalia lost does it to me yeah i fire Emblem heroes is actually much lower in both the United States and Japan. It's not even on the top uh, 250 in the U.S. And in Japan, it's um, this time has come. number number 131 overall for games. Monster Strike's still doing great in Japan. Yeah, I mean, those games are just going to always do forever, uh, or do well forever. They are um, they are permanent, it feels like, at a certain point. Grandpa yeah. Saga is another one. So of those. Um, the next one I want to talk about is one that um, Mike will, will understand. You guys won't. But um, I'm, I'm getting traumatized by the battle cry "Mushroom Power" when I play Arena and Hearthstone. Oh, I am I am so sick of that card. <laughs> um, fungal Mancer. The Fungal Mancer, yeah. He escaped um, the nurse it, too. Yeah, he. Uh, well, that's because he has much more of a, in my opinion, much more of an effect in the arena. Arena is where you you build you build a, a deck from random cards. Uh, this one gives a plus you know, bonuses to the minions that are next to it when you play it on the board. But it just seems like every deck I lose to has two or three of these guys in it. And and it just, yeah, I don't want to ever hear that battle cry ever again. I am, it's a, it's it, a it, big it, win more card. Yeah, well, it's not just a win more card. It can win you games. Yeah. Um, the next one is, this one's pointed to Harry, the, the Harry Potter game. Um but but it can work for any mobile game nowadays. But uh, for Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery, um, it has mobile timers up the wazoo. And I am sick and tired of mobile timers in, in, in games at this point. You know, it does feel like that was one that kind of like came and went, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's definitely from the, you know, even, even there's a story that Destructoid did about the game that I really liked. And it's it, 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 it says it feels like it's for... You know, mobile gaming 1.0, the way these timers feel. But come on, mobile mobile designers, don't put any timers in your games anymore. You know, I think the the problem with them was that it was really severe. Like in the first eight minutes of the game yeah. or so, you you yeah, ran into a timer that could cost you hours of time, and you'd have to remember to come back, or you, this timer would start again. Right, yeah. so you just get stuck in this one place in the game where it's actually your first real battle. Right, <laughs> and that was that was pretty 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 brilliant way to turn people away from your game. Yeah, you know, you know, don't put time into your game because all that does is get people, most people, to to step away from the game. But I, I think that you find know, the, other ways to get people to entice to to spend. Yeah, I mean, there there's sort of this uh, there there is a bit of a quandary, right? You're giving away stuff for free. You do want to get paid, and how do you get paid? And do you want to force people to finally give in and pay you because they're frustrated with the game? Or do you want to somehow motivate them to give you money out of the goodness of their hearts because they like your game so much? And I or, think people know, prefer the latter, but you know, so many games kind of die off because the, you know they don't they don't exactly find this line of where um, 
you know, where it's best to position your, your monetization. Uh, like, you know, if you overstep, like, uh, you know, as EA overstepped in, in Battlefront 2, um, then you get a huge backlash. Uh, but if you, if you get it right, you have a $2 billion game like, like Pokemon Go, or you have a $2 billion game like Clash Royale, right? Or, you know, let, let's, let's think about going back to actually paying for mobile games. Um, I actually spent probably 30 or 40 dollars of mobile games that i bought this year that are paid games and i i'm very pleased with with the results i got from that i think the um what's really going to happen there is you know that toothpaste feels like it's out of the tube and it's can't can be undone but i, I think, know no, i think the potential there is instead is the is the netflix model is um a way to easily stream games from these cloud services onto your phone you know over 5g networks or whatever it is or wi-fi when you have it um you know, if you already have that subscription um, c- because you're playing games on like a set top box or through a TV or through your computer, you know, you might start using your, your game or your phone for games more often because like, oh, I can play those real games that I like and that I'm willing to pay 10 bucks a month for. Um, and I think that's like where that the potential lies for money to be spent like upfront for games on, on mobile um, as opposed to through these app stores. Yeah, it would um, be more it just hopeful. feels like they'd get buried. I'd be more hopeful about subscriptions of some kind than, you know, one-time purchase uh, prices uh, because yeah, it just, yeah, such it a just small like percentage of the, the highest-ranking games are, you know, paid games, right? Right. And, uh, free-to-play um, games. Let's see here. So I, I say we go... Um, we kind of let Mike have, talk. Yeah, let's have Mike do his yeah, and Dean... Yeah, we want we want uh, and Dean, make sure you move your mic closer to your mouth again here in a second. But uh Mike, go ahead and give us your award. Okay. Uh so my first one was for the I guess that was a bad idea after all award, and, and that goes to Fallout seventy six. I think you guys have probably already talked about that. Uh, <laughs> your your award's different enough that we can kind of get into it a little, a little bit. Know. But I, I just thought it was interesting how you know the game was announced and it almost seemed like even worse than usual, people were like, All right, we'll give this a chance, I guess. It sounds like a stupid idea, but, you know, maybe it won't be. And then it came out, and it was just actually totally a stupid idea, uh, right? Like, the game was just, like, not aside from all the bugs and stuff, which I thought were, were many, I thought there were, you know, a, you know, a lot of those problems, I thought the game didn't look good graphically, but just fundamentally, the game just didn't seem to work, which was kind of surprising to me. So, uh, yeah, that was a bad idea. They shouldn't have done it, but they did. And then the execution was also poor. So, yeah, not, not a great year for Fallout. I, yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely one of those ones where it's like, oh, I guess people really can sometimes just trust their guts and, and stuff. But I, I feel like a lot of times that doesn't always work out. So this was like a, a surprising thing where it's like it, it doesn't look great. It doesn't sound exactly like what anyone would want. Um, maybe they'll pull it off and they just, yeah, they absolutely did not for sure. Um uh, let's see. Yeah, Let, actually, let's go. Let's do Dean's, and then we'll come back to Mike for your last one, Mike. Um, yeah, Dean, give give us your last one. Uh, the one about Detroit. You're muted, though. Oh boy. Okay. Well, never mind. We'll come back to Dean. Button. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Then I'll, I'll let me do mine, and then we'll see if Dean's going to be back. All right. The He Man's Manly Award for Men. <laughs> I'm sorry. The He Man's Manly Game for Men Award, and uh, that goes to Kingdom Come. Um, I say that because this game does feel like it was made uh, by bros for bros. Um, it, it feels like if you put 
uh, what was that HBO show? Entourage. If you put Entourage in medieval times, that's what Kingdom Come feels like. Like you are, you, you know, you play as this like lowly squire or like like black blacksmith's son, and you have like a crew of like three other guys that you're doing everything with, and and all these guys, you know, they have they've fully fleshed out characters and and, and names and. You're interacting with all these other guys that have fully fleshed out characters and names. And then one of the first missions you go on, it is you have to mess with this other guy who has a, like a name and a fully fleshed out character by messing with his wife, who is just called like Peter's wife. That's all, that's all her name is, is just Peter's wife. She doesn't have her that's own like name or her own character. And it was just like, man, what is like, how, like, what is this game? Why is it so bro -y? And it just, like, kind of continued that way throughout the rest of the thing. So, um, um, I had a hard time getting into it, because to me, it, it just seemed very dreary. Yeah. And, you know, I, I could take a certain level of, you know, dark and boring. Well, not not boring, but, you know, like... No dour. Like um, Dourness! Yeah, Thank you so much. It does much. feel like the uh, version In of my Skyrim that's like, please, sir, more, have some more. Like it, it feels like that version of Skyrim. Yeah, like it, it was like just if a it's about a very poor boy. Yeah, and it, you know it's and it's got the gray skies and everything. It feels like that part of the world for sure. And and I'll admit this: I, I think I, this is the year I realized that you know I like my RPGs either very sci-fi or very fantasy. Yeah, and that you know this was the one that was like, oh, we're going to be so realistic. I'm like, oh, very realistic that the woman doesn't have a name, I guess. Um, but all right, whatever. Yeah, that was, uh, nope. that was my last one. Let's, I think we have Dean back. Dean, why don't you give us your, uh, award for Detroit? But <laughs> as you know, I thought Detroit was a fine game, uh, you know, very good, to, uh, sort of parable for, uh, you know, our future where AI and robots are, um, uh, created to serve us and develop minds of their own and rebel against mistreatment, right? And um, the the mistake I think they made in the game, which almost every critic uh, and people who hated the game brought up, was this uh, you know, notion that androids uh, had to go to the back of the bus uh, and, and stay there because they were second-class citizens, right? And, and, you know, this came fairly early in the game, and... It, and and every critic said, this is just a heavy-handed parable, right? It's it's just so obvious that we're talking about the civil rights movement here and Rosa Parks, and that this is a great injustice to the robots and the androids uh, that uh, they're made to go, you know, sit in the back of the bus. That, um, you know, it just, it's turned off people uh, to the ideas in the game so early uh, that, uh, you know, it was kind of evident to me that a lot of them never finished the game. <laughs> uh, but I finished the game. I thought it was a, you know, it was a good game. And, um, and yet, uh, you know, everybody got fixated on, on one of these things uh, to criticize. And, and, and I, so, I think the yeah. idea was that it was, it, it was indicative of the, um, of the, the level of the writing or the level of like what they were, what they were going for or the depths at which they were willing to go for, uh, uh, creating a metaphor to explain their parable, uh, as you put it. Um, I, you know, I, I've only watched people play Detroit. I, I haven't played it myself. Um, but from what I've seen, it's just like, yeah, like it's dealing with, with concepts of Android and AI and stuff on, on, in a way that was, um, uh, it's pretty familiar for anyone who's in, in read or watched any of that fiction in any, any other like part of their lives. Like there's lots of books about this. There's lots of movies about this. 
and they explore it and they go pretty deep. Like even this past year, like uh, Blade Runner 2049, you know, delves on some, some issues that are several levels uh, more complex than what was seemed to be going on in, De- in Detroit, where Detroit was this very surface level exploration of, of AI and, and, and that stuff. Um, and I think the, the, you know, I, th- I don't think you gave this award a name yet. So I will, we could call it like the worst use of back of the bus or whatever. Um, that sort of like, it just is emblematic of the ways or, in which oh, the, uh, the David Rosa Cage Parks is this. rolling in her grave award, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it could uh, it could have been a little more like Westworld uh, and some of the, you know, the, the the sort of good moral dilemmas that they bring up, and it it is mostly about that. But um, but they you know they just sort of um, lose some people early on. I think. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, I think we got uh, two more from Jason and, and one more from Mike. Uh, let's go ahead. Let's uh, get your two out of the way, Jason, and then we'll finish up with Mike. So, so the best argument for a union award is what happened to telltale. Um, it just, it, it, you know, their closure happened so fast. People had just been hired not that long before. Um, in some cases, it, it just, it, it, it was a horrible situation. Yeah. They, there was no warning and they were, the way it was handled was, yeah. was poor. There wasn't a severance for everybody. And hopefully, you know, as I w- we talked about earlier with Red Dead and Crunch, you know, there's definitely more talk of unionization. There's more efforts to do it. There are people being much more vocal about it. And, you know, we- we're seeing reports of a few people landing on their feet, but, you know, that was a lot of people they laid off. And, yeah, 270 people, yeah. Yeah, and, and I don't know if they have all gotten jobs yet or not, and I don't know if they're all going to be okay for the holidays. And into next year um you know people probably are crying about folks getting laid off in, in california but marin county where where telltale is based is one of the most expensive places to live in the country um yeah and it's just and, and this whole thing is uh you know and the reason this is a, an argument for the union is companies there's very few laws that would force a company to uh, behave in a way that would be respectful of their employees when they are, when the company is about to collapse. Um, Companies tend to do this themselves because they're afraid of looking bad or they feel like a moral responsibility, but you can't rely on them having that sense of of morality when it comes to how you treat people. Uh, And with a union, you can put into contract and put into, you know, put into a lawfully enforceable, uh, you know, agreement where you have to do these certain things in a certain way if the company is about to become insolvent. And if it's about to go out of business, you can't just tell us that day and let us all go. You have to be, you have to tell us way ahead of time. And if you you can't get funding, we need six months severance. All, all these things need to be in there and, and we need to know what's going on. And we have a right to know what's going on because we, this is our livelihoods. Um, and you can enforce that sort of stuff with the union and, and Telltale was just a, a perfect example of, of why you would want something like that. Yeah. And I, you take I a look at a lot of, um, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I did a lot of reporting on this and, um, uh, you know, I, I, I think it, it was tragic in a lot of ways. Uh, everybody, uh, seemed to have good intentions and, and also seemed right. to point fingers at each other. Right. And, um, it, it would have been mitigated by the, you know, CEO coming out and saying to the employees, 
you know, we've got a lot of risks, right? And here's the risks. We might run out of cash if some of these plans don't come through. And one of the plans was either to sell the company or to raise another round of funding. And, and you know, these efforts fell through, but they, they seem to fall through at the very last minute uh, where they didn't give any notice to the employees. Right. And, they, they just kept pushing the you know, boundary. The other, the other hope was that our games that are publishing now are going to make us a lot of money. Right. And um, they, they late, you know, their, their forecasts, their predictions were entirely wrong. The games didn't make enough money. And so they didn't have the cash that they thought were they were going to have. And once again, you know, they, sh- they have to shut down. And it, it's like, it's like you're, you know, you're, you've got these great plans and you're, you've got the gas pedal down to a hundred and you, you see the cliff coming up ahead of you. Um, and you keep your gas pedal all the way down, you know, hoping that, that something is going to help you fly into the air or something, right? And not go over the cliff. Uh, but in, in this case, yeah, there's, um, it, it's, it's baffling that, you know, uh, for example, you know, they, they didn't do something like lay off uh, more people earlier. Um, you know, they, I think they seem to have gotten themselves into the problem of promising to do a bunch of games that they couldn't cut because they had promised, you know, somebody, you know, hey, you know, Netflix, we're going to make right. this game for you. Or, you know, one of the, the IP holders, the studios, it's like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we can't, we can't stop work on this game. Otherwise, we're going to have to give a bunch, bunch of money that we don't have anymore back to the studio or you know some some stuff going on like that where they just kept all these projects going and they 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 didn't shave back on those 270 people until the very last second and said 270 people you're out of work i mean yep they, and they were they, they were gambling the idea was all those deals would come through at the last second or the game would work yeah um, and the problem was the one thing they were gambling with was all these people's uh, paychecks, and and they didn't tell anyone whose whose money they were gambling with, um, what what the what the stakes were and what was potentially going to be lost if things didn't work out. So no one could make an informed decision, and uh, yeah, and I think that's just like those are, are all the kinds of things that if you do form a union, you can demand of your employer that they have to share that information and they have to be forthright and they they have to do, behave in a certain way if they are in a certain situation. Um, yeah, uh, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, let's wrap up, uh, Jason, let's do your other one. And then again, we'll go to Mike. So my last one is, um, is thanks to Rowan. Um, the, I hate spiders award goes to Pathfinder Kingmaker. Um, it's it. So I talked about this sub yesterday about how this was a one-to-one, almost one-to-one translation of the Pathfinder role-playing game, Kingmaker Adventure Path. Um, you know, and that's good. And it worked after, you know, several patches. But one of the problems was um, the spider swarms that were early in the game, part of a quest, uh, were practically invulnerable. And it didn't communicate, the game didn't communicate to you how to beat them. And no one really figured out that it would, you needed splash damage, which was a, something you could just do with a simple torch. Um, but it was never communicated to the player that that's all you needed to do. And unless you just um, worked it out from try, just figuring it out and trying it. Um, 
it was, it was yeah, a failure. I, and he wrote about having major problems with this. Um, and again, going back to the problem of, you know, you know, you, you need a guiding hand for a very literal translation of a pen and paper RPG module. And that's my last one. Yeah, with, with spiders, I'm, I'm, I uh, couldn't play the Skyrim uh, VR thing because I, uh, I, I'll have to go in and mod them out. I, but uh, they, they have the giant spiders in there and seeing them in like real size in like right in front of me was too much. So, yeah, turn that off. Oh, I'll have so to mod them out. spider trouble too. Yeah, every game should have the option. If you have spiders in there, that's fine. But let me turn them into something fuzzy that isn't like a mammal or something. You guys are cowards. Everyone knows the only animal yeah. to be afraid of is alligators. <laughs> fine. You're uh, the one who's afraid. Aren't you afraid of apples? Oh, apples are <laughs> disgusting. Gross. I got creeped out by those spiders in Uncharted 2, and I never understood where they came from and why. And, uh, I don't great remember spiders from Uncharted 2. I don't. Was it Uncharted um, 3 or 2? I think it was 3. Because anyway. I know yeah, 2 way more. I don't remember spiders, but there might have been. Okay. There were, no, there I think, were no, I think it was 2. Too. I think it was 2. It was, uh, what's his name? Richard. Yeah. I'll, I'll anyway. play through all of them again and let you know, Dean. I'll, I'll come to the All right. <laughs> All right. All right, Mike, take us home on our uh, bad awards. All right. Hey, guys, I got to I gotta cut out. Uh, I, uh, I made an appointment. Bye, Dean. Dean. something I was going to talk about, Octopath Traveler, and here he goes. Yeah, I was <laughs> I was worried we're getting into Mike territory too much here now, so it's, it's time for me to bow. Right, adios, Dean. Thanks. We'll see you on the next one. Yes, this award goes to a game I should have liked but didn't, and that's Octopath Traveler, which was like a gorgeous, like kind of traditional JRPG with beautiful pixel art, a super good combat system, like a fun like class like character progression system, and I did not like it. Uh, and it kind of all went down to sort of the pacing of it and the story structure and how these eight different characters like they each had their own chapters of story and they didn't really interact with each other. And it just uh, yeah was not my thing at all, and it kind of surprised me. Yeah, I, I was surprised you didn't like that. Uh, it was surprised it did me seem too. Like, Especially because it, it seems like people... It's not like one of those games where it's like it disappointed a lot of people. Um, it disappointed some, but there were a lot of people who seemed to just really dig yeah, it. Yeah, a lot of people so, uh, yeah. liked it. And this was the guys who did uh, the Bravely Default games, and I love, yeah, love those games. Which we both love. Mike. Yeah, I love Bravely Default and Bravely Second. So it was kind of a weird year for JRPGs, or just RPGs in general. Like, especially hearing Jason talk about JRP- or RPGs this year, I'm like, man. I barely played any RPGs this year uh, at all. I mean, I, well, right. Neo Kenny Two AAA, was a disappointment. In the in, in the AAA space, there were there weren't really any. Um, it was all smaller studios right. making them. Uh, and then you know you you have a bit of a blind spot for the more Western PC RPG, right? Like, and then, uh, and there are a lot of those. Yeah, and I don't really. Yeah, I don't play like those kind of piece those like top down PC RPGs as much. Mostly I do JRPG, and the, like it seems like the one this year that everyone did like was a uh, Dragon Quest, and I just haven't gotten to that one yet. Dragon Quest has traditionally not been my series, but I do want to get into this one. But it, it's just you'll like it. Yeah, I think I will like it, but yeah, I just haven't had time for that yet. But just kind of a weird off year for me in JRPGs. I mean, usually I even have time to go back and play some old ones. Like I, was, I thought maybe I'd play Lunar this year. I was hoping to get through like Fancy Star. Um, for once that comes out on Switch, uh, but yeah, just haven't had time to do that either. Well, all right, I think it's gonna wrap us up though. Uh, do you guys have any other like you guys just have like a, a game you hated this year? You have one of those? 
I mean, or just like your worst game of the year, something like I'm that. Sure. Like, there's so many good games. games anymore. I don't spend a lot of time. I know. Bad I, and that's what Jason was saying. Like he self-selected. He just pick. He picked the games that to play that he wanted to play. So and I guess Fallout. Uh, yeah, and you can do bad. that. <laughs> yeah. What was bad? Fallout was pretty bad. I guess. For mine, it was the one, the worst game I played this year. I already talked about John. Dragalia, you know, Dugalia. actually, no, it would, be, it would be Harry Potter, Hogwarts Mystery, then Dragalia Lost. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I, I mean, it's the one I'm most conflicted about for sure, and probably the one I dislike, but we talked about it as well, Red Dead Redemption 2. I just, That's uh, your least favorite game of the year. I, I don't, it's not... Wow. Maybe, most, most disappointing is probably the better way to put it for me, um, just because it really... Uh, I, it, it really presented itself as one thing. It was so different than than what I was expecting, and the thing it was, I, I don't like um, for the did, most did part. Did I miss you and the, Dean really getting at it over Red Dead? Well, we kind of started out the podcast that way, oh, yeah, fine. for sure. But yeah, we'll do yeah, some I, more I, and tomorrow. I yeah, I can't really think of anything else that there was like that. Like I hated because again, yeah, there's so many there's good so games. Many, like, why there's just so many games in general now. It seems kind of it's it seems like torturous to play through when you don't like even us. Uh, like when we're reviewing games, we kind of, you know, we, we pick the games we're going to review. A lot of times it's hardly going to be something we think we're going to hate. Because, you know, we're, we're, our staff is smaller anyway, so we're not trying to review all the games. So we're already have to be selective. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm, I looked at, like, my list of games. I tried to keep a list of, like, everything I played. And everything's like, yeah, that's all right. That's okay. That's all right. Uh, and that's, like, at the worst. So, yeah. So, yeah, definitely just the most disappointing was just Red Dead. Okay, I think that can wrap us up then. Uh, let's get out of here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We uh, we should have another one tomorrow, and that's going to be our, our most important moments of the year. So I think how we're going to put that one. And then uh, on Friday, uh, Thursday or Friday, I'm not sure exactly when the podcast itself will go up, uh, you'll get our game of the year where we discuss the best games and try to put them in a list of 10 with the best one being at the top, which I believe is how that process works. Tune in for those. Until then, have a good one. Enjoy your holidays, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you.